coach. You know, I've met, interviewed and had the chance to understand the motivations, personalities and the desires of hundreds of successful people over the last five years. And it continues to blow my mind how different every individual is. We often hunt for the secrets that made a certain person successful. What made them succeed? But interestingly, the more I've interviewed successful people, the less patterns I've been able to identify. Maybe that is the secret. Maybe there is no secret. Joe grew up on a council estate in London. His mum left school at 15 years old. She had her first baby age 17, which is Joe's older brother, and then Joe arrived just two years after that. She was always on benefits. She didn't have a clue about food or fitness, and Joe, he was predominantly raised on a diet of sandwiches, pasta, and chocolate. Joe's dad, he was a drug addict, and he was continually in and out of rehab. And so his home life and upbringing was far from the white picket fence and parental solidarity that you often see in movies. Growing up, Joe aspired to be a PE teacher. But after eventually finding work as a teaching assistant, he realised that he wasn't cut out for it. It just wasn't for him. He switched lanes, borrowed money from his parents to buy kettlebells in a personal training course, and soon after that, he became a personal trainer. After handing out flyers in his local area, outside tube stations and anywhere he could, so few people turned up to his classes that he was unable to pay his parents back the £2,000 they had lent him. He recalls being so upset by the lack of clients he had and by the prospect of not being able to pay his parents back, but he was not prepared to give up. Soon after this, he had the idea to start posting short recipe videos on his Instagram and his now famous 15-second recipe videos called Lean in 15 exploded. Joe doubled down on social media and he eventually became one of the most followed health and fitness channels on Instagram. His first published cookbook, Lean in 15, was a best-selling book in 2015. Lean in 15 has been translated into 18 languages around the world and sold over 1 million copies in the first year alone. He is a Channel 4 television presenter with his own show called The Body Coach. Joe has sold over 3 million books and has the second best-selling cookbook of all time. He sold 40,000 copies of his fitness DVD in a single week, and he's allegedly responsible for a 25% increase in broccoli sales. He's worth tens of millions. He's an investor, a husband, a new dad, and quite honestly, one of the most genuine, real, authentic people I've had the pleasure of meeting. Joe was the same guy on and off the podcast. He was sincere He genuinely wants to lead a health, fitness and well-being revolution that will positively impact the lives of everyone, from your kids to your grandparents. So why do I think he's been so successful? I think he's the right guy, at the right time, on the right platform, with the right message, fueled by real passion and guided by pure intentions. You know, when you meet someone and you think to yourself, I'm so glad that this person became successful. Joe is one of those people, and his mission now is to get young people all across the UK fit and exercising. The world really is his oyster. So without further ado, this is the Diary of a CEO and I'm Stephen Bartlett. I hope nobody is listening, but if you are, then please keep this to yourself. Joe, an absolute honour to to be in your presence. You're a, a heavily, heavily admired young man for a variety of reasons. I want to get right into it because there's so much for us to talk about today. I guess the place I want to start is with context. And the context I'm kind of looking for is the context of 
who Joe is and why. And I guess a lot of that will come from your childhood and um, your early experiences. I think that's the foundation of everybody. So what's your, what's the story of Joe Wick's childhood? Well, firstly, thanks for having me on the uh, podcast. I'm a, I'm a recent listener and I am Amazing. well into it, mate. Honestly, <laughs> your honesty, your openness and your self-awareness of just life and learnings and business. I think it's really, really inspirational. So I'm buzzing to be on it. Oh, thanks, mate. And um, I was actually on a five-hour journey up to York and I listened to like three or four and I was like, this is this is going to be a really good chat. So which ones are your favourite podcasts from the drivers here? Which ones are the ones that you've enjoyed? I've, so the first one I listened to was the Toby Pierce, which is obviously quite close to me because I'm a mm-hmm. massive fan of Kayla and what she's achieved. And mm-hmm. He's a very, very interesting guy, and I, I was really just blown away by the growth and and the kind of the the, the dedication and, and and the consistency with their brand. Like, because they never they never promote anything; it's just always the app, mm-hmm. and you can see where that effort has come out. Because I think they said you know up to thirty five million people are using it. Mm-hmm. Um, Crazy. I also love the chat with Ben Francis from Gymshark. Yeah, um, he's he's very inspiring. I, I just I I really believe there's two types of people in this world. Mm-hmm. There's people that genuinely like from their heart and soul love to see someone succeed and then there's people that just can't quite really truly be happy for other people do you know what i mean that may not be from like a no, a jealousy perspective or an envy but maybe they just like they just can't maybe they just wish it was them but I, when i see yeah. stories like you and i see stories like ben i just get fascinated I, i'm drawn to successful people and i love i, I don't want to drill down and find out what is it they've done and what have they you know what behaviors have they learned or or, or kind of implement to achieve that success so mm. Do you, do you know what I mean about that? Yeah, and do you know what? I think there's something remarkable, even from spending a couple of moments with you today, there's something remarkably authentic about you. And I think this, for me, um, forms part of the picture as to why you've resonated with a lot of people because um, you've been on social media a long time and people are going to figure out who the real Joe Wicks is eventually, especially yeah. when you're constantly making videos and content. And just from the, you know, I don't know, I've been here, what, 20 minutes now. I've Your authenticity, I think, is part of the reason why um, people have been drawn to you so I've totally evaded the first question my childhood that's the thing if you had met me as a kid you know you just would well basically I come from a pretty kind of hectic chaotic you know upbringing I was I grew up in a council estate my dad was in and out of um, rehab for, for drug addiction so I was around quite a quite a chaotic home and a lot of shouting and a lot of you know verbal abuse and whatnot and I was I was very hyperactive maybe that you know I had behavior issues I didn't have very good attention span um, I wasn't academic and I couldn't focus on anything for very long. Mm. But as a kid, I was very into like fitness and activity and moving. And I always, I was trying to use that as a release, I imagine, because I was just always on the move. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't, I wasn't like an overweight kid, even though my diet was terrible. Um, but you would have looked at me and thought, he's going to end up in prison or he's going to end up on drugs. That's what you really would have thought about me because I was just climbing the walls. I was swearing. I was up and, you know, running about and didn't respect any kind of rules as such. I was a bit of a, I was probably I was more like a class clown than an actual like naughty kid, but I was just always attention seeking and disruptive. So you wouldn't have looked and thought that's going to be like an entrepreneur and that's going to be someone who's going to like go on to connect with millions of people and help other people with you know with my business. Did you ever see yourself becoming? What did you think you were going to become in your own head? That's a good question, and I think I, I like I, like I said I don't come from an ambitious family. We're not a family of entrepreneurs. You know, my mum's a social worker. Um, who left school at the age of 15 with no qualifications. She had me and my brother by the time she was 19. She was really young. Um, and my dad's a roofer. So we weren't pushed to go to university. We weren't encouraged to do anything other than be happy. My mum and dad always used to say, for, for all the all the drama and trouble I went through as a kid, one thing I always had was love and support. I always knew that my dad loved me. I always knew that my mum w- was there for me. And she, she used to say, I don't care if you're a dustman or a doctor, I'll always love you. Mm-hmm. And that, that that having that kind of feeling and that 
support behind you definitely made me feel relaxed about who I was going to be. I wasn't under pressure to be anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but my in my head, all I was ever going to be was a PE teacher. I thought I'd be a school teacher because I'd work with kids and I'd have fun um, and I'd you know have summer holidays and mm-hmm. maybe get a mortgage and have a house one day. But it's really weird when you come from that culture of not much self-belief and not no expectations, you know, like mm. there's no one around me doing a lot and succeeding a lot in, as, a, as a kid. And so um, my ambition and my motivation came really just through having fun and putting content out and, and realizing that I have an ability to connect with people on a, on a really deep level. So there's this, I guess, this stereotype that entrepreneurs are so intentional that they were like, you know, selling sweets in primary school and they've always been hustlers and, you know, motivated and they come from, you know, part of the stereotype as well, unfortunately, is that they come from, you know, great families or that they have that they have money or some kind of advantage. That's a stereotype that kind of varies, but you kind of really buck that that stereotype and that trend because from what you've just said there, not only um, didn't you ever think you were going to be an entrepreneur, um, people around you didn't really think you were going to be an entrepreneur either. And um, it, it happened, I guess, through the, the the love of something and the passion and that ability to resonate with people. And that's why, honestly, from just like the meeting, meeting you for like 20 minutes, I'm like, okay, the because my job here and the reason why I, I, I travel and meet guests often is because I'm trying to figure out why they became successful so I can take a bit of that into my own life. But also I'm trying to like debunk stereotypes and um, your authenticity and how, like when I met you, I'm like, there's no other version of you. Like you're not going to walk out this door now and say, oh, thank fuck he's gone prick. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that's true. And it, it, you're like, like you said, when you live your life on social media for Instagram and stories every day, like you can't hide. You can only, you can, you can put on a face and be a character, but how far is that going to get you? And I've always just been really honest and really, um, passionate and and I've and I re- very recently I've got into this thing where I, I never used to believe in the secret and the law of attraction mm. I used to think it's a bit you know wishy-washy but in the last month or so I've been putting out a lot of positive content mm-hmm. really powerful inspirational stuff and I've realized I've actually become a kind of channel just for my my philosophy and my energy but when I put positive stuff out there it's coming back in waves and waves mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm, I'm in this like flow state where I'm, I'm putting out content. I'm reaching out to people and sharing their testimonials and their stories. And it's coming back in waves. I mean, I'm spending so much time at the moment doing DMs and voice notes to people. Um, and I'm, I'm not just a fitness trainer. Anymore. I'm, I'm counseling these people. I'm life coaching them. Mm-hmm. And I've realized like, I love it. Like I really enjoy it. People that have, you know, really deep stuff like been suicidal or in relationships or going mm. through um, depression or eating disorders. And I used to find it really hard to reply but now I, I take a moment to read them. I flag them. When I've got the energy, I come back and I, I send them a voice note. And I always bring it back to the thing of, you know, getting yourself moving, maybe get out some fresh air, do some mm-hmm. exercise and bring it back to exercise. So I'm not trying to be a counsellor, but I'm giving these people like a little bit of information or a tiny um, little catalyst or a nudge in the right direction to get them feeling happy. And it's mm-hmm. so powerful. Sometimes it's just letting them know that someone gives a F about them, you know, or cares that of what they've said as opposed to the advice itself it's just that you know what it's listening yeah and I can't I can never read one and I I can't read a message like that and ignore it I just can't I can't let them see that I've read it and and, and not not kind of given them my attention it might just be a 15 second voice note Mm -hmm. but that means so much to people Mm -hmm. and and so I can continue doing that and my dad said the other day like you know be careful because a girl came to her I did a meet up um, and she was in recovery for cocaine addiction and she said she came to a hill sprint session at eight o'clock in the morning on Richmond Hill. Mm-hmm. And I was so, she asked me to record a message for her, for her group. And I, before I thought about it, I was thinking, right, I really need to think what I'm going to say. And 
had this really emotional feeling that she's gone from having a really tough struggle and she's been really, you know, struggling to get off of her addiction through through drugs. And she's turned up at eight o'clock in the morning to run up and down a hill with me. Mm-hmm. And I found that so inspiring. So I shared that message. And now the last week or so, I've had so many people, really? you know, in, re- in recovery and in, mm-hmm. with addiction saying how amazing that one story was. So... You know, my dad said to me, "Joe, be careful because addicts are they 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 love they love vampires. They they want attention and they don't know when to stop and they'll keep asking." They and I said, "Dad, what you don't realize is they actually it's giving me energy. Like I'm in, I'm mm. feeling alive and happier doing this right now than I've ever been." Mm. And and I think he didn't quite understand where that was coming from, but it's because I'm I'm having an impact. So I'm helping people mm-hmm. that it isn't it isn't kind of draining me. It's actually in a way like lifting me up. And like I said, I've become a vehicle for this positive energy and this message that I'm spreading. Mm. And it's way more than just fitness now. It's it's becoming, I'm, I'm really, I'm inspiring people to change their lives, to get out of relationships. Mm. Not not like on purpose, but just by the way I am. Mm-hmm. People are really kind of leaning on me. And I, and, I, and I think it's such a wonderful position to be in. And it's really like what makes me happy on a, on a daily mm. basis. And I, yeah, so like, you know, people will look at you and here's what, I think here's what they'll think. They'll think um, good looking guy on Instagram, delivers great fitness advice, making a lot of money. I bet that his ambition or his motivation is coming from making all this money and um, looking beautiful. Is that correct? It's so far from who I am and the, and the truth. And when when I do get negative sentiment on social media, if it's about people calling me a sellout or saying he's just about the money. And what do they say? What's the The, the negative get? sentiment is like, so I don't believe that the general population should, should count calories. I don't. And I just think mm. people should focus on healthy cooking and regular exercise. And, and, and by doing that, you naturally put yourself in an energy deficit and therefore mm-hmm. you can get lean and stay healthy. Um, and also that I'm a sellout and that it was all about money and the whole thing with Instagram and lean and 15 or any you know deal that I get, it's all about money. And I I, I really think that the money is a, is a byproduct of success, but the real success is that I've been able to talk to you, mm-hmm. your mum, your nan, seven-year-old kids that turned up to my events. Like I'm talking to such a wide demographic of people that... And it does, you know, it comes from personal trainers. It's always personal trainers. Mm-hmm. I never get like a random mum or dad following me saying, oh, what a sellout. Or, you know, he's he's lying and keeping information from his followers. Like, it's always personal like trainers. Like snobbery. And, and you know that comes from a place of, um, you know, jealousy, jealousy and envy. Or, sure. And I actually used to get upset. It used to really affect me on a, on a spirit, spiritual and emotional level. I'd lay in bed thinking, how can someone so positive, so um, passionate, putting out such a good message, still be getting dug out by these people? But... I know it comes from a frustration. Like when I was a personal trainer, running around doing boot camps, clients canceling on you and not, people not turning up. It's a tough industry. It's difficult. It's stressful. And it's hard to make a true, you know, truly make a career out of it. So I'm actually more compassionate with people that, that attack me now. How do you deal with it now? Someone says, Joe, you're, you know, you're an HIT or whatever. And they start coming at you for things that really matter to you, like your work. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with it? Like, talk me through it. You open your, your phone, you look on Instagram, there is personal trainer Ken, and he said some stuff. What, what, what goes through your mind? So it used to affect me. Like, I used to get really, you know, upset. Like, it would drain my energy and make me feel really, like, What about all the low. positive comments? Yeah, so now I've learned to, basically, the positive stuff I'm doing, I, it drowns out the negative. I never engage in negative comments. I never reply. You know, people, like, do podcasts and videos about me and dedicate their time to, like, slagging me off and saying how mm. bad my message is but i always think why have i sold three million cookbooks why have i got five million people following me and i always come back to it's because my message i've never ever talked about calories i never talked about people um tracking this and counting that and so i'm doing something right and i, I just i've learned to kind of just have a moment and 
read a positive comment and it mm. drowns that out. But one of the most hurtful things was when someone said, I'm surprised he's not charging them kids for the hit sessions. Like all he cares about is money. But I actually traveled all around the UK with Nikki and my friend Dom um, and Glenn. We took a cameraman. It was self-funded. I went to 15 schools in five days. I trained with 10,000 kids and mm. I was I was knackered. And we had brands offering to give us a hundred grand to, to be a part of it. And I was like, this is about me making an impact. I don't mm. want any, I don't want to get paid for this. And so when someone said that, I was like, how can you, how can you say that when I'm, I'm so passionate and I'm clearly on this mission and you think I'm going to charge the kids for the hit sessions? Like, so it does hurt. It affects you, but... It's, it it might be like a temporary thing. It might be a couple of hours. Whereas before it'd be a few days and it would like affect me and I wouldn't want to do videos. I'd be like, it's it's kind of making me feel sad. Like it would make me feel sad. I'd sit with Rosie and I'd be like, why why are these videos there and stuff? But now it might last an hour or two hours and I can go right back so to work. What has all of that taught you about the nature of haters? It comes back to that thing of, I look at people like Ben Francis or you know, Kayla and Emily Sky and, and amazing people doing great things. And I, I get excited by their success. It inspires me. Whereas so some people, other people's success makes them feel inadequate or unsuccessful or they get green with envy and jealousy. But I always think, how can I learn from these people that are doing these amazing things and, and be a better, you know, role model or businessman? So that comes down to the thing of, can you accept other people's success? And you might experience this, even close friends to you that you went to school with, some of them you can just tell are genuinely happy for you. And the other ones that may say they are, but they're just and not they're quite the same. And that that is just something that is, is is within people. So I think anyone out there that feels that jealousy or envy or want to want to have a stab at someone, try and turn that kind of um that that feeling into a positive inspiration and be like, right, I want to do a little bit more of what he's doing. I'm gonna be positive. I'm gonna put out a positive message and and reach more people. I just think negativity, you can't, it won't breed success. Mm-hmm. So for all the people that do send negative stuff my way, I always combat it with more positive, more nice videos, more DMs, more voice mm. notes. And I and I get more back. And I'm like, I'm all right, I'm doing the right thing. And so I remember that my mission is still the same. And do you, I think this is something we're all guilty of, including myself. Um, I can go on a post, something that I've put online, and there will be, there could be a thousand lovely comments, but it's that one negative comment because as humans, I think we all have a negativity bias. I've got to the point now where... I, all the positive things people say to me, honestly, uh, this is just the truth. So I don't care if it sounds bad. Um, it it goes over me like a water off a duck's back. I just don't absorb it. And the, I think what's happened to me is I've realized that um, with me personally, I'm unable to accept some things in um, and not others. For me, it's either all or nothing. And I think with people generally, their opinion of themselves is either created by external uh, narratives or society or opinions, or it's not at all. So I think very early on, I decided that the good and the bad, I'm not going to let it form my opinion of myself. And I'm going to try my very, very best to um, build my own opinion of myself based on my own thoughts and my own rationale and my own logic, because I'm scared of if I let Jenny over here tell me that I'm amazing and that I was incredible for doing whatever I've done, I'm also going to let Dave here from Burnley who says you're an asshole and a failure and a da 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 da? I'm also going to let him in, and so my my sort of self defence has been, don't believe any of it. But I still fall fault of when Dave pops up and says something. What is a negative thought? What what? I'm just trying to think why anyone would dig you out. Like what? Can I mean, they dig I, you listen, out this is the thing, Joe. Everybody gets dug out. A guy the other day, you're an absolute fraud. There's no record of you ever making a million quid anywhere on online. And there I am in my bedroom thinking. Do I? 
Yeah. Do I go at him? Do you, do reply? I... Do you, do you engage or not? I never so, engage, never go into combat. The older all. the older I've got, the more I've learned to just let them go. And if I do respond, it's with kindness now. But Years I, ago, would you have snapped and oh reacted my Lord, him like Every one of them. I would be Publicly like, or just by DM? Um, it would. I try and keep it as private as possible, especially as my business got bigger and I became, you know, an employer of you know seven hundred people. I have to set a good example, and there's people following me, and I have to set a good example. But you know, when someone says something, you and they, as you said, they they come at something which is the antithesis of the truth. When they say, "Oh, you're you're selling out to you know you're rinsing kids," and you know you've just gone around the country and given to kids. And that's something that's very close to you. Yeah. It's one of those things that- Maybe they know that. They know what's going to nudge you. They do. They do. They know what's going to hurt you. They don't care. And it is is about hurting that person on an emotional level. But like I said, I reckon 1% is negative. 99% Mm. of my content and my stuff coming is positive. And I'm so so clear with my vision. And I'm more, I'm you know, that thing of purpose driven over profit. And I, I truly believe in that. I believe in, you know, giving before you get given. And I- gave you know 10,000 tweets before I made a single pound on social media mm. and you know hundreds of thousands of um, comments and tweets and replies to people and all the stuff I've given means that when I release a book in six months mm. time it becomes a bestseller because mm. the love is there and the attention's there and the respect and the and the admiration for what you do mm. means that people will support your products I think a lot of people assume well I've got a million followers therefore a million people buy my book but it doesn't work like that not. it really doesn't you have, you to, have, have to, to be nur- with nurturing people yeah and and some people would assume that I had a marketing degree and I understand social media and I did this big digital content course. Mm-hmm. And But I, I was in my kitchen in Surbiton with my iPhone shouting out midget trees and broccoli and you know mm-hmm. um, Lucy B and all that. And I had no idea I was building a brand. This no idea. This is my next question, I guess. Why were you successful? So here's the thing. So there was a, a guy called Joe Flicks and then there was Joe Wicks. Um, both of them were um, really into fitness and... Um, food, healthy eating, and all of these kinds of things. Why were you successful and not this hi- hypothetical Joe right. Flicks guy? What, that, what yeah, is it about a good you? Question. I get asked that question. I always want to kind of spin it on the person and say, "Why do you think I stood out?" Like, mm-hmm. but can spin it on me. I'll, I'll ask mm-hmm. you that in a second. So, first of all, there's obviously millions of trainers, and there's obviously loads of people with different philosophies and different ideas. And I think if I had started today as Joe Wicks doing the same thing on social media, I wouldn't have had the success that I've had because it was the right time with the right idea where 15 minutes was a good amount of time for people to get engaged and it was a 15 second video. Mm-hmm. I think people's attention spans change. I think people's even now even busier. Plus there's probably like a billion users on Instagram. So my growth was quite, you know, in the early days was, was quite quick. But it comes down to... I had an idea that was just simple that got people in the kitchen. You know, like when Jamie Oliver used to cook, it get you excited mm-hmm. about food and made it fun and simple. And all I did was I took a 15 second Instagram video and showed how to cook a 15 minute meal. And I called it Lean in 15. That was the hashtag. Um, but like I said, there was no real vision. I didn't think I was going to get a book deal off Hammett Millen. And so consistency, but also just me as a person, like if you threw me into a room, into a party with people I didn't know, I'd come out with a few mates, you know, yeah, yeah. I just, cause I'm, I'm, I'm like that. I like talking to people. I like getting to know people and I like listening to people as well. And I think that's a, that's a two way thing. Social media is a conversation. I'm, I've always been about what can I do to help you? What can my content do? Is it, is it about me showing off my abs and building my ego and feeling great about myself? Or mm-hmm. is it like, can I use this bit of content to make you want to go and do a workout and make you go and feel mm-hmm. good? And, and and so it really, I think it's obviously a yeah, personality and a genuine passion when there wasn't really many Instagram fit, fitness people like monetizing it as such. You had Kayla was a couple of years before me, 
But I obviously, Kayla and me and some other big people have set the standard that you can make a lot of money through fitness content. Mm. So now when you see fitness Instagrammers, yeah, they might really love fitness and want to help you, but they could also know I'm going to make business out of this. So like, here's how I'd summarize it from your assessment there. I imagine it almost like a padlock. You know the padlocks where you've got to get four numbers in a row? Yeah. Right? And if you get the four numbers in a row, then the, the lock opens. Or like the lottery where you've got to get six numbers in, in a row to win. I think you got the like proverbial four or five numbers in a row where you're the right person, right? And when I say the right person, I mean, aesthetically, you're a good looking guy, but you also have a lot of, and I took, and then also personality traits, consistency, passion, right? And that's what constitutes my definition of the right person at the right time. And I think not just in the evolution of social media, but in the sort of societal trend of getting the demand healthy, for fitness, yeah. Fitness, recipes, um, things like, you know, veganism and eating well and looking, you know, I think that was a, that's an emerg- a rising trend. I think the right place in terms of um, the right platforms and things like that. Yeah, being around at the right time, um, getting on there early. And the other thing I'd like to add to the right person is your personality because I think people really resonate with you. As you said, you can walk in a room and I believe you'll walk out with loads of friends because, you, because you're real. Right. And that's something that you just can't fake in the long term. And then, yeah, the last one is the right message uh, delivered in the right way. So doing it in a concise way, that's simple for Jenny in her bedroom or whatever. I think that combination is like getting the right number four times on a padlock and it opens. I think that's a good analogy, actually. And I, when I go to what, some of my book signings or I do these random meetups I've got into recently, I'll, I'll say, right, meet me at Richmond Park. We're going to cycle around mm-hmm. and there'll be, you know, like seven year old kids and there'll be 65 year old women. I've, mm-hmm. I really speak to everyone because I'm trying to make fitness accessible and fun for everyone. My mm-hmm. whole brand, if you, if I was to summarize my brand, it's like fitness for all, you know, accessible, um, unju- non-judgmental. And, and, and I really am on a mission to get people happier. And mm-hmm. it's not just about fat loss and losing weight and looking a certain way. Mm-hmm. I'm now way more in tune with the mental health benefits of exercise, you know, elevating your mood, productivity, just general happiness. And I, I'm more in tune now with that than ever which is suddenly, I'm talking like the last few weeks since I've started doing the voice notes, mm-hmm. it's really opened up a whole new world. Cause I used to sit and do written stuff, but the power of a voice note it's has crazy. allowed me to engage. And I now realize that I am on a mission so, so clear that I'm actually working harder now than when you met me four or five years ago. Like if I, if you met me when I was bang on my phone doing tweets, I was stuck in it, but now I'm doing, I'm doing more, but more valuable if you, if you know what mm-hmm. I mean. So it's not scalable in terms of I can't do a thousand messages a day, but I'm doing a hundred really good quality mm. ones that are having a massive impact. So I'm working harder now than I ever have been. I want to talk about that. So um, there's a few things I want to talk about. The first one is the voice note thing, but the second is uh, about the impacts of fitness. This is just a personal thing because I'm, I'm on, the, on a mission to try and get fitter. But on the voice note thing, a bit of context, um, ahead of you meeting me today, you sent me a voice note on Instagram, just saying like, hey mate, looking forward to it, et cetera, et cetera, um, and a few other things. And that really caught me off guard. Really? Yeah. In what but in way? a good not, way. You've not had voice notes from people yet. People don't. People send me voice notes, um, but it's rare, and it's and it's very personal and like um, in a really good way. It's like, wow, he's in my room. He's here right it's now. It's like, oh my god, me. and it's like you broke this wall because it was into it, and it meant that I had to send one back as well, which I liked, and I would never have normally done. But it instantly was like I knew you, right? And I th- there's something so powerful about things like that that most people don't do that kind of break that wall that I just think is, is so and it really inspired me actually I thought why why do I sit there typing to people when I know my voice and them listening to me when I give them advice is would be so much more powerful mate I, I can't stress it enough like if you are someone on social media who's trying to build an audience or wants to engage and help people by doing that 
it, it speeds it. It's so much quicker. It's so much easier. You can read their message as you do it. You can, you know, refer back to what they've said. Because I'm getting some really intense, deep messages that it just wouldn't warrant a, a couple of texts. Mm-hmm. It would be like it would, wouldn't be really truly listening to them. So I, I, I listen to it. I read it. I digest it, and I send them a little thirty. You can send a minute, sorry, a sixty second video. Sorry, a sixty second voice note, and I sometimes do a couple. But the impact that has on people, firstly, they cannot believe you read the message. Mm, been with you. So let alone they, you know, they think it's someone else. And like I said, I, I will come in this living room and I'll do my workout. I'll put Indy to bed, my little daughter Indy, and I'll come in here and I get in here at seven o'clock and I go, I'm Rose. I'll be up in an hour. I'm just going to do an hour. Mm-hmm. I look at my phone. It's eleven o'clock, and I swear to God, in my head, I've been doing it an hour mm-hmm. because. I'm I'm enjoying it. I love it, and I and I'm getting voice notes back, and people are like, "Wow, I can't believe you can do this. Thank you so much. You have no idea." And now I'm use and I always ask the people, um, you know, can I screenshot and share your little testimony on my story? I always get permission, but by doing that, it means there's more and more coming on a daily sure. basis because people go, "He's reading it. He's he's listening. He loves it. I'm going to reach out to him now." On my DMs, you got a lot more followers than I have. On my DMs, it's out of control, right? Like, so I get you know, depending on what I upload and what I'm doing sort of in terms of my personal brand stuff, there's thousands of messages a week. And some of them, as you mentioned earlier, are very personal and really, really hard to read at times. How do you deal with the amount of DMs you get and how do you decide what to respond to and what, and do you read all of them? I I pretty much open my, so my little cousin, Luca, he's my community manager. He kind of oversees, because I've got a community about 6 million across all the platform. Mm -hmm. So he'll be the kind of, you know, the eyes and the ears, if you like. But in terms of the voice, it's always me. You know, it's always me doing the voice notes. It can't be anybody else. Sure. You can't replicate that. So I have a system now where I'm, I'm kind of, I'm bad in a, in a way that I will do it all day long from the minute I wake up. Mm-hmm. So now I'm trying to sort of chunk it and do it in a certain period of time. So I might come in the um, living room and do like three or four hours of it. And that does seem crazy, but that is my job. That's my work. That's my energy source. It's how what do you, I do. How do you decide what to reply to? Oh, in terms of, so I, 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 if it's a really you know little que- little thing like I don't want to um, give the game away. <laughs> yeah, if, if it's a little thing like you know, hey Joe, I just tried one of your workouts for the first time. I loved it. I might just send a little emoji and say, "Well done, have a great day. See mm-hmm. you soon." You know, let me know how you get on with the next one. But if it's a really intense paragraph of like I said, people with eating disorders or you know really really tough kind of social issues at home or wh- whatever, I, f- I flag. I need to be in the right mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, but before the voice note, I was doing videos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what I realized is sometimes I didn't have the energy, the emotional oh, energy in yeah. my face. So voice notes change because I can be really tired and be a bit lethargic. Sure. But I can pick up the energy through my voice sure. and send them a really, really lovely message. So I, if it's anything where, look, Joe, I know you might get millions of messages and I know you're not going to read this. I always give time to those ones because they're the ones that have really, you know, reached out. And I almost, I treat it as if like you you walked past me in the street and you tried to stop me and say hi and say thank you or be grateful for mm-hmm. saying or, or, or say, um, you know, thanks for giving me some some help. So for me to ignore it, like it's the mm. same. I'm I'm not just seeing screen names. I'm seeing people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like I said, yeah. like, like the last few months, I've I've been I've become so in tune with it and 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 realise how powerful it is that I'm actually cranking up my energy levels. I'm doing more. I'm putting out more Instagram lives. And so now what I'm doing is taking a collective of questions that I'm getting a lot of, like motivation. I did a little IGTV on motivation. So I'm taking what I'm learning from these questions and spinning it into a little 60 second video mm-hmm. so that the general population that follow me can also learn sure. from that. I mentioned a second ago, um, I'm trying to get into um, fitness a bit more. I've been going to the gym quite consistently. Before I threw, I was doing a little bit better. Went to Ibiza a week ago, kind of downhill since then. But the, the challenge that everyone has with fitness, as I'm sure you've heard, is the dedication and the commitment to stick at it and to, to keep going. What is the reason why 
people like me sometimes bottle it and we we struggle to form a routine. Why is that? The biggest challenge that people face is motivation. That's the thing that people struggle with, whether it's cooking or exercising. And really, I, I said today that motiv- you're not going to wake up tomorrow morning feeling motivated to work out, but the motivation is waiting for you at the end of the workout. So when you go for a 15-minute hit session or you go for a power walk or a cycle around the park, at the end of it, you know, the physical endorphins that are released in your brain make you feel good. They give you energy. It makes you feel a little more focused, a bit more productive. So for me, when I get asked the question, why do you exercise? It always comes back to the energy, you know, the energy that I get through it and the the kind of happiness that I feel from it. And it doesn't need to be this long kind of one hour long session with a PT or going to Barry's boot camp or CrossFit. You know, I really believe that the future of home, the future of fitness is home fitness, is home workouts. Mm. We're seeing that with Peloton. We're seeing that with, um, you know, lots of online platforms and, and 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 my YouTube channel growing so quick, you know, I get two and a half million views a month of people doing the workouts. So you know, make your living room. This is my studio. This is where I film my workouts. By the way, I oh, have really? my tripod and camera there. This is I move the sofas. I film the workouts. It's me. I press record in real time, and people love that. It's just anywhere, anytime. Mm-hmm. And so, but Joe, I need loads of equipment. No, no, you don't need equipment. <laughs> your body is, you know, a great, a great, a great piece of equipment you can do all sorts I, I i do like 20 minute 15 minute workouts but ultimately you want to be successful and that can be through for all your business but nothing's more important to you and your family and your loved ones and your kids when you're older than your health so it's not about putting pressure on yourself to have this really crazy routine where you're doing hours a day but you know 20 minutes a day and a lot of you you, you might have read you know listened to podcasts and read some stuff about entrepreneurs and ceos that most of the truly hyper, hyper successful people all have a fitness routine, mm-hmm. whether it's, um, you know, Tony Robbins or Gary Vee or um, um, whoever it might be. Um, mm-hmm. Richard Branson, for example, who plays tennis every day for the past 40 years, goes cycling, he's like 70 years old. These people fundamentally see the benefit of exercise, not on just the way you look, but the way you operate on a daily basis. I mean, I don't know what you're like with sleep, but another thing that's underestimated is the importance of sleep. Mm-hmm. And it's all great being a hero, like, you know, I'm running on this amount of sleep, but a good night's sleep is the best pre-workout and the best way of functioning and optimizing your day. Mm-hmm. You know, your your focus, your vision. So really it comes down to, you know, your food, your sleep and your exercise. And, and your love life. And, and your love life, <laughs> <Sad> yeah. <red. laughs> and I, and I, think, I think it's just people have been confused by it becoming this complicated thing. But really it's like I said, just working out consistently, doing whatever you can, 15 minutes here and there, cooking healthy food and... And, and consistently doing it and keeping it up. What, 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 first of all, you're not really out of shape. Some CEOs no, gain no. all the, I'm, and I've, I've met a few CEOs with startups yeah. who they go, yeah. oh, Joe, you should have met me two years ago before yeah. I started my company. But it is, it's the hour, it's the work, it's the hours they put into yeah. their work. What stops you from exercising? What's so, holding you back? So right now I'm, I've been doing, and I was asking that question, I guess, more as like, a, I know that my audience struggle with that question. And it's, people ask me that question all the time. Right now I'm like, I'm in a bit of a rhythm and a bit of a flow state. So I've, um, with work or fitness? With with fitness. Right. I've been going, I'll go every other day, um, if not every day. And if, if I don't go that day, it's because I'm not on a, on a plane or something. And but how, even, how much better do you feel after? Do you feel amazing? Amazing. Yeah. amazing. And in fact, when I got back from holiday recently and I didn't go for two, two, two or three days, I, I swear to God, my life, it felt like my life collapsed. Bear in mind, I, I'd gone every day for five months from about February, right? Um, and the three or four days I had off, my... I'd like, it was like hard to get out of bed. Yeah. I was like, I wasn't motivated about 
much at all in life. Ibiza is a you have it's a come down place. You don't sleep much as well. It's a tough one to come I, back from. I didn't. Yeah, and you're right. And I didn't. But I didn't even really party in Ibiza. I went out one night of the four that we were there, and it was. I just I lost that momentum kind of yeah, thing. and the endorphins, whatever it gives you in your brain. I just lost it, and and then I went back to the gym a couple of days later, and I felt great again. You can re yeah, it's you like can always reset it. I went to a wedding at the weekend. I slept five hours a night in a teepee and was boozing, gin and tonics, smashing mm. the champagne and whatnot. I felt like death, but I got on my little Peloton bike, did 20 minutes, and it just reset me almost instantly within got 10 minutes. I just It levels me out. It, it, it reminds me why I exercise. So I'm one of these people that can have a little blowout or a little you know, little mm. party, but I, I can quickly switch back into what I want to be doing. And I mm. think that's the thing. It's not dragging it out for a week. You know, you've mm. done your IB, you've had your fun, mm. get back to work, get back training, and, mm. and feel remarkable. the benefits. It's been amazing for me. It's been one of the the biggest sort of productivity and success hacks I've experienced definitely this year is consistently going to the gym. And you're right, my sleep's been fine, but it's a lot better now. Yeah, like um, an extra hour, even if you have an extra hour a night, that, 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 that cumulative effect over a month and a year is so, so powerful. And I think people just underestimate it as a, as a, as a, as a kind of health fact mm. and a marker in your health that sleep is so important. Mm. And you might have, you know, an extra hour, let's just say you turn the TV off an hour early and that extra sleep means that the next day you can operate and reach more people, connect mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, have a more productive day. I want to go in a different direction, a completely different direction. Um, something you said at the start of this conversation was that the, the household you grew up in was full of drama and you referenced that it was full of shouting. Yeah. Um, the reason that triggered me a little bit or resonated with me, shall I say, is because the household I grew up in as a kid was full of my mum in particular, screaming in my dad's face for hours and hours and hours and hours on end. And my mum will probably listen to this. My mum could scream in my dad's face for six hours and she's Nigerian, so she can get real volume. And my dad would sit there like a mannequin as if um, he was no longer with us, right? And I have said on this podcast before that growing up, that taught me that relationships were like hell. Because the only model as a young kid that I knew was relationships equal, lady screaming in your face for six hours, no freedom. So why would I want that? Yeah. Why would I ever want that? So when I was 14 years old and I like fell in love with this like girl as you do, the minute she said she wanted to be in a relationship with me, I told her all the reasons why we couldn't be. And I had chased her for two, three years or whatever. And that story played out again and again in, in my life. You know, I look behind you and I can see, um, is that your daughter up there? That's my daughter, India. That's my wife, Rosie. Yeah. And then... Me and Nikki, when we got antiqued with a flower at a house party, someone threw flour in our face. <laughs> yeah, I'm a family man now, and I am. I'm very different to the child, and I'm the. I'm a different parent to the way I was parented, and because of that um, experience, I mean, I definitely had. I had issues around, you know, trust and commitment. You know, because my dad would always be in and out. It, it, I'd, and I'd always think, you know, why is he off in rehab again? Why are we not enough? Why can't he stay at home with us and stuff? And it, it definitely used to upset me, but. Um, I, I don't want to be someone that shouts at India. I don't want to be impatient and snapping. I, I see that in my mum and dad. I see, um, you know, and there used to be holes in my door. Like when I used to live in council house, the, the doors were really thin. And I remember seeing like holes and it was like cardboard inside. And I always just think, why are them holes there? And it was only when I, I got a bit older, I realised that was because my dad would have had a row and punched his hole, you know, his hand through the fist and his fist through the door. And I, I'm so much more calm and I, I really, I've taken what I've learned as a child and rather than replicate that and follow that pattern, I've actually really like done the opposite. And I, I'm, I really focus on speaking to Rosie calmly and polite and being respectful around her and also treating Indy like being patient. And it's hard when you've got a baby, like they push your buttons. 
So it's, it's, you've got to try staying calm when they're having a meltdown. But I just have a few techniques that help me to like not be that dad that shouts and that dad that throws mm. stuff across the room. And you definitely have to learn. It's something you have to practice and put into practice through time. But I just didn't want to be, I didn't want to get involved in drugs. I didn't want to be um, someone that wasn't there for their parent, for their for their kids and their their, their, their partner. So now like, I, if you had met me a few years ago, I didn't believe in marriage. I just thought, no, nah, I'm never going to get married. I met Rosie and I fell in love and then suddenly I wanted to be married and it's made me actually really happy. It's made me realise that you can be in a relationship and be content and be you know faithful and loyal and not just run away when things get hard because that's all I've learned that you run away when things get hard. And even Same. as a ke- teenager, when things were tough, I'd slam the door, I'd run out of the house, I wouldn't come back for a few days or I'd go travelling when things got difficult. I'd always, always run away. Um, that works to an extent, but then you get to a certain age and you're like, this isn't working anymore. What, what, what is it? So I'm the exact same where, and this is, if my ex-girlfriend's listening to this, which she probably is, she'll tell you the same thing because um, because I learned that relationships were like prison. Whenever my ex-girlfriend would like basically say the same thing to me twice in a slightly aggravated way, I would literally get my stuff and go. And I told her, I said, if you ever shout at me, whatever, I'm going to get, I'm not going to, I'm never going to shout at you back. And I never, ever have ever in my history even got like really emotionally moved by a romantic like interest. I would just get my stuff and go. I would like immediately. So you're quite calm. You're passive. Super passive. I'd never get, never. And I'd get my stuff and I'd leave because my dad never would. He would never get up and just go. So I used to stand there as a kid saying, dad, like don't allow her to speak to you like that. Go. And so, you know, whenever my girlfriend's was out, I just get myself. So what I was, what is it about Rosie that made you change your perspective on marriage and commitment and think, do you know what? I'm going to settle down. I'm not going to keep running away from. Well, I was all, I was actually in a relationship from the age of 19 to, t- to 29. So I went traveling Blimey. to um, Australia. So I'm actually, I say I wasn't, I say I was, a fr- I was frightened of commitment, but I wasn't. I just wasn't. The marriage thing was the whole, the whole thing that kind of really intimidated me. But because my mum and dad never got married and if they had, they would have been divorced over and over again. So when that relationship ended and I met Rosie, I just, I just felt instantly like myself around her. And she's really, she's really like open and loving and she's just she's kind and when you're with someone that makes you feel like you're completely yourself I suppose it just made me really settle into it and it was a natural progression we had Indy first we had the baby before we got married but I I just it all moved so quick like I wanted to live with her straight away. I wanted to really? have a house I wanted to and before I was always fighting that I was always like I'm too young to settle down I'm 19 but I'd still be there when I was 27 28 29 like still and I definitely hung in, hung on and hang, hung into that relationship too long and by the end of it I was not the person I truly was. I wasn't being patient. I wasn't being kind. I wasn't being affectionate and loving. I was, I just was kind of hoping that, you know, she would leave me and it's just such a bad way to think. But there's so many people in that predicament where they're with someone that they're like unsure about. That person has turned them into a worse version of themselves. I truly believe that. Yeah. And And I, I just remember thinking like, this isn't my true spirit. This isn't who I want to be. And I, I I actually, and I'll be honest with you. I, I used to talk to my mum and dad, but I was with this girl from such a young age and we really, we grew apart and I, and I actually went to have some therapy. I said, I need to speak to someone who isn't someone I know. And I had a two hour therapy session with a lady in London. And I, I, after that, I walked out and I came straight home and I told her, I'm so, I can't be with you anymore. It was that simple. It was like, listen to someone that didn't know me that said, why are you still in this relationship? Like, why are you doing this to yourself? And why are you not being happy? Why are you holding this person back? And it was a two hour therapy session and it changed my life forever because I think I might have you know, I, I could have potentially stayed in that relationship for longer and had a kid. And do you know what I mean? I, I'd done the right thing and I, I, I got help and it was great. And that was the only time I've ever had therapy. 
But I can say if you're in a position where you feel like you can't make a decision, you want to speak to someone, speak to someone who's completely impartial and, and, and unbiased. It really helped me. And why had you stayed in that relationship for 10 years if you kind of deep down knew that this person wasn't making you know you the best person you possibly could be and they weren't it's like that thing you talked about on your podcast when you said about the frog in the saucepan you know hot water like you don't just jump out it gets a it starts off really good and it's all warm and cozy and suddenly it gets a little bit hotter and then eventually you know you 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 kind of a part of you dies you're not being who you truly want to be and um, being out of that relationship and being with Rosie and having Indian, I'm now like way more content than I've ever been. And it's really calm. It's quite a nice feeling to like not be thinking the grass is greener, to not be wanting to get out of a relationship you're in um, and to kind of want to be running away. And it just it just, it just, just came through making that decision of like, let go of this person. It's, you're, you're doing a good thing for her, but you're also freeing yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and all I think about is that she, and I really hope that she's as happy as me and she's met someone and, we don't speak or anything, but you know that's something I hope that it's happening somewhere in the world. So you know, talked about a lot of things that are great. Love life, smashed it. Kid looks amazing. Um, got a really nice house. You're successful in your business. You're growing. You're in a bit of a, a flow state at the moment, and good things are happening because you've put a lot of good energy out into the world. I guess my question is, what are you? What are you scared of? What am I scared of? I'm scared of. I'm scared of like regretting you know, looking back and thinking like, did I spend enough time with my friends and family? But I also know that I'm doing that on a, on a I'm, I'm instinctively, I'm not just driven to work constantly all the time. Like I have really amazing periods where I'll smash work, I'll work intensely for like a month or two. Then I, I went traveling for a month to Costa Rica with Indy and Rosie and we're about to head to America. So I'm, I'm kind of, I already know the balance. Um, and, I, and like I said, I'm now, I've got this clarity in my mind and like this flow state that I'm in that I just feel like nothing can go wrong. If I have, if I keep doing what I'm doing, nothing can go wrong. Are you scared of dying? I'm not. I'm not. Not scared as no. I'm, I'm scared of. How do you feel about death? I don't know. I just. I don't think about it really. I'm scared of. Well, I'm scared of my mum and dad dying. Mm-hmm. I haven't had any family close to me die because they had me so young. So don't forget, my mum was 19. So all my mm-hmm. family are quite young. My mum and dad are, and I think losing them is going to be tough. But it's all part of life, isn't it? I suppose. What did your mum mean to you? My mum's like. She's so wonderful, my mum, and she's probably my most kind of she. I'm, I'm most connected to my mum more than anyone, I think, and that's because of what we've been through. And I really now want to take care of her and look after her. And she's she's so wonderful. She's given her whole life basically, dedicated herself to like helping raise me and Nikki. And now she helps her. She helps um people like, who've been through like young offenders and through difficult stuff. She's she's a social worker and stuff. So she is everything, you know. But I've also my relationship, with my dad. Like it, it was difficult when I was growing up, but now, you know, we are, we're communicating a lot better. We hang out, you know, we're, it, it, I don't hold anything against my mum and dad. Like for all the, all the madness, I, I just think that was what we've been through. That's our journey. That's mm. you are who you are today because of it. So I'm not someone who looks back. I, I, I think we've all had difficulties, but some people like really hold on to that and it affects them forever where other people can just let it go and let it just move on. Like it's done. Like that's, that's what it was. Just love the person they are today. That's more important. That's a really, really, I think, important point that um, for me appears to be the answer to a lot of the energy, the negative energy I experience in like my direct messages from people is their like inability to like let go of someone that's wronged them. And the, the, the real shame is because that person's wronged them once upon a time, they're then dragging that negativity through their life and letting it destroy their future and their present. Yeah, what's and like, the point? You know, I've got a, someone that's really close to me that um, had a really bad experience with their dad when they were younger um, and they just won't let go. And I see it 
damaging their adult life now, even though they don't speak to their dad anymore, but because they just won't forgive that person. So how do you forgive someone more generally, not just your parents, but how do you forgive someone that's, you know, harmed you or done you wrong in the past? What's the... I, I totally, I can hear that message and I can see where that's coming from because, you know, my mum and dad, have they've had their own trauma to, to, to such an extent that they've been in, you know, therapy and for all their lives and also, you know, with addiction, it's manifested different ways, but... It, and it makes me sad. All you want, all you want, is your mum and dad to be happy, and you want the people around you to be happy. But for some, sometimes I can see they've been struggling their whole life to let go of whatever it is that's hurting them, and you know, um, holding them back. And for me, it's a case of I just believe you have to live for the moment. You have to enjoy the day. Like, what's going on today? Like, what can you do today to make you feel happy? And what is, how is it going to serve you? Thinking about what you went through as a child. Like, you can mm. have my mum and dad have had all kinds of therapy. Like. You know, regressive childhood hypnotherapy. You go back to the, you know, my dad's even started doing ayahuasca and plant-based medicine to go back and just to get it all out of him. But mm-hmm. I just think you have to just take ownership and control of yourself on a daily basis. And, you know, that's going to be done through like exercise, um, he- eating healthy food, being connected. Like some people are so disconnected from their family and friends and their community, whatever that may be. And that's the most important thing. They say that one of the key factors in success is, are you connected? Are you helping other people? Are you giving... Are you giving or are you just taking off people? Mm. So, you know, don't focus on what you've been through and let that just be like the past and and what is happening today. You can't even deal with the future. Like, don't even mm. get what some people are so they suffer anxiety from what could might happen in the future. Mm. But you have to just focus on today. You know what 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 is the point of looking back? I just think it can it can really consume you and, mm. and you could like, you could go, you could go your whole life without ever truly being happy because you're worried about the future or you're thinking about what happened in the past. Like. Mm. There's something crazy in this, in this like truth that to overcome your own struggles and your own pain, it seems to be the case that by helping others, you kind of help yourself. And I've observed that with a lot of people that have been through tough times. They say that, you know, the, the, their recovery has come from just like, you know, making content for other people or being there for other people. And it's often the case that people who had the worst childhoods then focus all of their sort of adult life on helping kids or, you know, wanting to su- support kids in some way. And there's something in that which I think is quite profound and human. It's not, yeah, it's not a cliche. It's not like, it's not like some, some. it's, it's an actual fact that, that, that when you are giving back, when you're helping others, it makes you feel good. And so it's tuning into that. Like I do that on a massive scale with a big community. And But you could do that, you know, with a few people you know, your friend, your auntie, your cousin, your nan, whatever it might be. Like mm. you can help other people um, on a smaller level and build your own community. But that is so important. I think we're so detached from it and we're so focused on social media and mm. having followers and engaging with people that we might forget like also people close to you, the real people that you grew mm. up with and your family that, that raised you, they're also really important to stay connected to. There's this, um, I don't know if you've read this book called Lost Connections, but I had the author of the book, Johan Hari on this podcast and I asked him a question as to why people in the Western world like the UK and the US were so depressed and anxious and all these kinds of things. And he said one of the really interesting things he observed from his studies abroad was that in other cultures, in Asia, when um, people are told to go and do something to make themselves feel good, their default over there is to go and help someone, their family members, their nan, whatever. Over here in the Western world, because of society and social media, we go and help ourselves. We go shopping. We do something for ourselves, yeah. Yeah, and he said that the, the the market difference and the impact it has on your happiness is just tremendous. That, you know, our default because of advertising is, do you know what? I'll go get my thing. I'll go get my hair nails done. I'll go buy myself an iPhone or a new outfit. Definitely, I agree and then, on that. And, and that's not the human way to, to help yourself. You shared a really nice quote from it as well saying that you can be, 
you can be, you know, around hundreds of people, but if you're not giving anything back or giving something that's going to help those people, you can still be very lonely. Like you can have mm-hmm. millions of people around you or all this love as, mm. as such, but you, you can still be very disconnected mm. and, and not attached to to people. And so I'm, I'm, I've, I am on a, I feel like I'm on a little bit of a spiritual, I'm not religious in any sense, mm. but I feel like, and I'm not into the, I'm not like Tony Robbins and NLP and all that sort of stuff, but I'm on some kind of spiritual journey where I'm really learning about myself quite quickly and what, does and doesn't work and what makes me feel good and what is helping others and it's a case of trying to tune into that and obviously with business we we sometimes often focus on you know the profit and the turnover and the growth but sometimes the purpose if you can focus on the purpose and what you're really trying to achieve then it suddenly like brings success it kind of follows you and it it pushes you like a momentum Mm -hmm. in what you're doing and what is your mission then for let's look forward now What's your, what are you working? I know you're doing a lot more with young children as well and, and young people. What is Joe Wick's mission for the future? My mission is to, I want to be remembered as someone that just really, really, really got like millions of people active and, and feeling good and exercising and eating healthy food. And that's going to be from kids in primary school right through to adults. And I'm, I really want to be someone that inspires basically. So it's not just about how many books I've sold or how many Instagram followers I've got. It's like, can I truly make an impact like culturally, like, culturally get families exercising together like why so this is the question i always ask when i ask that question because because i'm seeing it happen i'm seeing like i'm seeing these parents with my youtube workouts doing a workout with their five-year-old kid and it makes me so happy and the, the message they're sending is my little kid hasn't got off their sofa all summer and they've just done a workout and they they feel amazing and we're all eating a healthy recipe tonight now that is important and it makes me happy and i think if i can do that millions and millions of times over why wouldn't i like Mm-hmm. I, ca- I can inspire I've just got to work out how to reach more people so it's the why is because it makes me happy and mm-hmm. secondly because I'm helping people live a healthier life like mm-hmm. that that and I you know I think in 20 years time when you remember the body coach like you remember Jamie Oliver it's because not of his book sales or how many companies he's had it's because he was the guy that got kids eating better in the UK or he was the guy that you know has always been on a mission to get people healthier so I do believe I'll be here in 20 years' time. I do believe that other trainers around might fizzle out and might not be around, but I will still be doing this in 20 years' time. I'll still be sharing a message and, and being positive and evolving as I go mm-hmm. with what I'm doing. And you've gone from being a young guy that didn't have money, grew up on a council estate and didn't know sort of material things to now having, you know, through, I mean, you sold millions and millions and millions of books. You hold records for um, your recipe book, I believe, right? So my, yeah, my second book. So my first book, The Lean in 15 one is, is the second best-selling cookbook of all time Crazy. after Jamie Oliver. So Jamie Oliver's 30-Minute Meals sold 1.6 million and my red one sold 1.4. So it's, it's, been ma- it's been mad. It's been mental. And and I remember like that's real people. It's not just book sales and revenue mm. and, and like commission on books. It's like that's actual families mm. cooking for my book. And it, mm. does, it does really motivate me. It does get me gassed and think, come mm. on, let's do another book. Like, <laughs> why not? It's a long process doing books though, right? Yeah, it's a long process. Really wanna... It takes a lot of effort, yeah, with the recipes and stuff. But... Um, I've, I've got another three books in the pipeline. Exciting. Can you uh, let any cats out of the bag yet? So the next one's called Wean in 15, which is a baby book for babies and toddlers because mm-hmm. I've just gone through the process of getting Indy onto solid foods and it's it's fun, but it's also quite um, daunting. You're not too sure what to do. So I'm now building a sub-brand, if you like, and a, and a separate audience on another Instagram called Wean in 15 where I'm now sharing like recipes and content for parents and the engagement on that has gone crazy. It's actually, I think, in a few years' time will be bigger potentially than what I'm doing on the body coach stuff. So this is a question. As someone that, um, you know, pretend I didn't know this industry. It's, it just happens to be the industry that I'm in. But one of the questions that a lot of people will uh, will wonder and ask is, 
um, how do you make your money? And what's your philosophy for making money? Because you've got a very big audience, a very engaged people. You do something that a lot of people, um, brings a lot of value to people's lives. How, how are you monetizing this and living off it? Okay, so the first thing I did was launch an online fitness program. So I've obviously got my free content, which is my YouTube channel. I make a little bit of AdSense from that. It's not massive, it's not my main thing. Um, I've got obviously my Instagram and recipes and stuff. And then I've got my online fitness plan, which is a 90 day plan. You sign up through um, my website and you get tailored meal plan and recipe um, workouts. Um, so that's that's one revenue, which is the online plan, which is my most lucrative, my, my, my most lucrative part of my business. The second thing is obviously the books, which- And how much is that online plan? It's 97 pounds. Mm-hmm. And we've had half a million people do it in the past um, right. sort of five years. So- It doesn't take a genius to do the math. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really I'm really proud of that. and And- and again, that was something I, I just saw like, uh, not a gap in the market, I just saw that I was getting all these questions, I was driving them to my YouTube channel, but I could produce a plan. So it's like I saw the demand and I created the plan, put it out to the world and didn't really know what was gonna happen. But that, mm-hmm. that is a, you know, I'm really proud that I've got that many people to do that plan because it is changing their lives. It really mm-hmm. does help and gets them healthier. I've then got my book. So, you know, the book advances were tiny when I signed up, but when you sell three and a half million books, you can imagine the book advances grow exponentially yeah, and the royalties Christ. and stuff. So. I've got the online plan, the books. I've got a partnership with Gusto, which is a yeah. recipe company box. And the interesting story is, to this is that I turned down a deal with a supermarket for two million pounds. Mm. Um, and I never talk about numbers, but I, when I get called a seller, I think if only you knew all the things I said no to, mm-hmm. all the brands with energy drinks and post this and do that. And I say such no to so many things. Um, but when that supermarket deal came, it was like ready meals. It was fast food and microwave dinners and, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I thought, look, I'm not doing it. There's no way I can do it. But I, I thought I need to find another opportunity in the food space. So Gusto is a recipe box company. You still learn to cook. It's all healthy ingredients. So that was that kind of filled the void mm-hmm. of the 2 million pounds that I pushed away. <laughs> and that's that's been so successful. It's been so, so well received because people- if, if they still want someone to do it, then I'm, <laughs> you're, I'm joking. Oh, you want to do the, the supermarket deal? Um, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> and, and, and so that, that was a big decision. But yeah, so I've got- so I keep having to summarize it. The online plan, the books, the Gusto partnership, and then you've obviously got m- merchandise in terms of I've got pots and pans mm-hmm. um, and, and a deal with my protein um, from the nice. Hut group. So, But again, you know, these things aren't lighting up the world, but it's still things that I have the chance to do and I have an opportunity sure. and sometimes it's good. Sometimes you think, wow, that's going to go mad and you're going to sell millions of pounds of pots. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the, that's a different kind of product. It's a slower burn, you know, and... Um, I definitely say no to a lot of brand partnerships because of the money I make through other things. Mm-hmm. If I wasn't, then obviously I'd have to be promoting your peanut butters and your jams Everything, and yeah. your energy drinks and all this sort of stuff. And money, what what impact, like I almost asked this question before, but was there anything that you wanted to buy when you were broke like I was and you thought, you know, and you went and bought it? Any toys or anything that anything material that you... you- um, I didn't... I wanted to just, I really always wanted to have a house, you know, like own a house. And I, when, you, when you're in a council house and it's always rented, like none of, not one member of my family has a mortgage. I mean, think of that, like not Crazy. one of the people I know own a house. So like for me to buy a house and own a house and, and be mortgage free, like it's amazing. So the first, I know this is super cliche, but you might feel the same that when you earn money, you want to take care of your mum and dad. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I did, I bought my mum's council house for her. So she, oh, she, she has that and she's done it up and she's super happy with that. And then I bought my own house. Um, so that was the that was the main thing was have a nice place to, to grow a family. Um, I like guitars. As you can see I'm learning to play the guitar. Um, <laughs> I've got an electric skateboard. I've got a boosted ball which I love. But nice. I'm pretty low maintenance. I'm not someone who kind of as I got exponentially wealthy that I went and bought 
exponentially bigger and grander things. Like mm-hmm. I love my holidays. I love experiencing things. I like traveling with friends. And, um, you know, if we go skiing, I sort my friends out. If mm-hmm. I go to Vegas, I get the hotel and pay for some of the, you know, the booze and that. It's not like um, it's all the time, but I do love bringing my friends together and some of my, my mates are skin. So I said, come <laughs> on, we're going to go to um, Ibiza for a few nights, you know, things like that. But I'm not, I'm not very materialistic. I did, I did buy um, a nice watch when I turned thirty, but I never wear it. I just got my Apple Watch on all the time. What watch was it? I bought a Rolex. Nice. And I never thought I'd ever want a watch, but I thought I'm thirty. I'm, you know, it's a big day. Let's <laughs> get something to you know remember it. And I bought it, and I, I liked it, and it feels nice. But I actually quite feel quite shy when I wear it. I feel like it's a bit showy Easy. offy. Right. So I I wear it if I go to like a nice wedding or mm-hmm. party or something, but. I actually just I'm, I'm much more I'm an Apple man really so I bought a Rolex and then I lost it so I don't I oh thought, you lost it yeah I thought to myself I know someone who got bashed over the head the other day in London they st- stole it off his wrist so be careful of your Rolex well no this is actually part of the story so I came home one day and I, I was someone that works at Social Chain my business was was staying in the spare room for a couple of days while they're sorting themselves out and their car keys got taken out of the drawer their car got smashed up around the corner and my Rolex went missing up my room oh no so, but I thought Stephen you're a rookie you know should have better security so I've not I'm punishing myself I'm not going to buy another one for another five years or something yeah well, but I did yeah. I did like it when I had it and it was good for like special occasions you know what's it like for you being a 28 year old just turned 28 just turned 27 last god, week you ain't, god you're even yeah. younger I was 26 even- a week ago or so it's even more inspiring. What what is it? What is it? What has it meant to you? And for you to become wealthy and have this huge company, because you've got an empire essentially. And mm. what does it feel to you? And how when when you think about money, yeah, did it change your perception? Has it changed? Has it inflated your ego? If I met you five six years ago before mm. you're making serious dough, mm. are you the same man now? Or has, has your ego and your personality changed at you all? Just got my 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 mum said the thing she's most proud of is that I haven't changed at all, and all of my friends have said the same thing. Like because honestly, it does it just doesn't matter to me. And in the same, like, the reason why I really don't, I sold my Range Rover and bought a bicycle. And, like, it's because money, I've, especially as I've gone on this sort of self-development journey of really understanding what happiness is and where it comes from and intrinsic motivators versus doing things because you want to show off. And all the, and basically because of this podcast, I've learned what happiness is more and more. And I know that it's not amassing large amounts of money. I don't care about the wealth side of things. And even with my... I said it, I said in this podcast, um, when, when I was, I was making, when I left my first business when I was 21 years old, I was making 70 grand a month from being a consultant from all these brands paying me just to tell them what to do with their businesses. And I could not find the motivation to walk down the stairs in my apartment and respond to an email just to send an invoice that would make me 20 grand. I said to my business partner at the time, if I go downstairs and send that email, we'll make 20 grand, right? Me, it comes into my bank account. I can't be asked to go downstairs. There was no motivation to make more money. Really? It would it would have no impact on my life. I could buy everything. I was 21 years old, traveling the world, making 70 grand a month. What's 80 grand a month when you can you fly however you want to fly, stay wherever you want? I had no overheads. Did you get Did you get flash though? Did you Did you have a little blur? No, because I couldn't. I didn't even know how you got flash. What was I going to buy? You're not into like the clubbing scene and going like popping champagne spraying. Oh, I was a hundred percent. I was going. When I was eighteen, I saw all these guys spraying like buying all these bottles in clubs. So I thought, I'll give that a go. See if that makes you happy. Did that for a whole year, just buying Dom Perignon bottles in nightclubs. Spraying your dough. These nightclubs knew me, right? And I had there was a little star by my name because I'd come in and I'd buy five bottles of Dom Perignon, and it that didn't do it. That didn't make me happy. I've got, a good, I've got a good question for sure. you. So I know what you wanted at 18 and I know you as 28-year-old Stephen. Mm. What does 38-year-old Stephen want? Because you know like Gary Vee, like, 
I'm going to buy the New York Jets, man. Yeah. His whole life is built up towards that. Yeah. What What do you want in the next 10 years? What's your goal? I can't say anything about another man's ambitions. But for me, when I'm 30 years old, I, I'm, I get so much out of this journey of this like philosophical journey of figuring out what happiness is and um, getting smarter and wiser. I'm making, because I'm helping others, but I'm making decisions in my own life that are bringing me closer to feeling good every day. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, with feeling that. better every day. I feel good every day now. And so, one of the big things that I'm, I love this podcast because it, I get to unpick people's brains and learn more for myself. It's a very selfish thing, but in the, I know it's selfless in the sense that you'll listen as well. Um, what are my goals for when I'm 30? Honestly, do I have a couple of them? A couple of kids? Maybe? Uh, yeah, I do. I want more balance. So, one thing I've always said in response to that question is more balance. So, that means um, tying the knot potentially. I'm, I'm still in the, a place where you were, where I'm not 100% sold on marriage yet, but I'm sold on having a long-term partner and I'm sold on having loads of kids. Um, and then helping my family more, helping other people more. And then do you know what? I think the big thing is really going after some of the world's big, biggest challenges. And what I mean by that is maybe politics and really trying to disrupt politics as someone that is not a politician um, and has a very uh, unapologetic view on the way things should be done. Or does that mean trying to go after the education system or something like that. I think that's, I want to put myself in a position where I'm fucking terrified and where the world, half of the world fucking hates me because of what I believe and half of the world um, understands me. Sounds like an amazing yeah. mission, man. I, I love that you're- I don't know what it is. You but... are very inspiring. And, and the fact that you, you do a lot of stuff with schools, don't you? you did yeah, a yeah. project just... working with young young children yeah, and inspiring we have a, them. Yeah, we just done a, that TV show with Channel 4, which was um, which is still sort of feeling the effects of now. And and I bet um, you love that. I bet, I bet I could just ask you, I just know that that probably doing that, I bet it was exhausting, but I bet it's also oh. one of the things that you've probably enjoyed and got the most satisfaction from, right? Yeah, 100%. You, you nailed it. I hated the process. Exhausting. Wait, I was just saying to the girls- and on my team, waking up at 6am and having to walk down the same street eight times just so they could get the angle. Sitting in a classroom for an hour where kids are just like telling the teacher to F off and asking me what five times five is. Exhausting when you've got a business to run, right? But the, coming out the end of it, my perspective on education was transformed and I was inspired and I was in love with, to be honest, I was in love with young people again and realised how important they are and, and also how delicate it is. Like, as you said with your story, how a small thing that happens when you're younger can knock you either one side of the fence to believing in yourself or to 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 not, um, and how like malleable and influential young people are. So yeah, so influential and so so kind of in, they're so uh, impacted by decisions at a young age. Like if a child doesn't exercise through primary school and secondary school, like you are really going to struggle to get them moving as an adult. They they could mm. be sedentary their whole lives. So mm. it's the same with anything. If you can get the early, you can get in there and into their mindset and. That's what I'm doing with the schools thing. It's like I'm teaching them that it's fun, it's quick, mm -hmm. it's simple, and you're going to feel better. And I'm I'm changing behaviours and cult the culture of exercise in the home and bringing parents. I keep saying to parents, I keep saying, you're a role model. If you sit at home with your kid and you just watch TV and you don't ever do any exercise together, your child will never want to do it. Like you need to start so demonstrating true. it. And it's really having a nice effect on people. So that's kind of the, the big mission now is engaging families and kids exercise, you know, through fitness and having having fun with it and just keeping on on the mission, really. I think you're going to go a very, very long way. I think you are too, mate. Yeah. 27 years old. You're on the Forbes list yet? You should be. Oh, uh, no, I don't care about the list. No, <laughs> So I guess my last question then, which is why I ask all my guests, so if you've heard this podcast before, you probably, you should have prepared an answer if you, if you listened. Go on, yeah. But no one ever prepares an answer to this. Um, dinner party. This have is one of those questions this? you always get stumped, yeah, the guests for the dinner party. And I always think, oh, it's, it's like, who's your favourite 
that musician or what's your favourite movie I always struggle but Here's how many am I allowed to invite them different ones so there's a table there in this hypothetical room right I'm there because it was my idea to have the party you're there because it's your house okay I'd probably I'd definitely have I'm a massive fan of The Office so I'd want David Brent there but not as Ricky Gervais I'd want him to be actually David Brent so the US office or the UK the, one? Oh, the UK one you don't like the yeah, US no, one? no I, d- I, I really? tried it I, I love both I just, it was just ripping off all the jokes so <laughs> I'd have David Brent to, for the sort of for the comedy mm-hmm. And for the for the value in terms of in interesting interesting kind of subject matter to talk about, I'd probably say someone like um, I'd probably have Richard Branson. I think from a business perspective and just like he's kind of you know the way he's just built that company is incredible and he's he's very mission driven as well. Um, so I've got Ricky Gervais, I've got Richard Branson. Um, is it getting harder? Hang on, uh, can you have a musician to like sing music? Anybody stuff? you want. I'd probably have. Someone like Stevie Wonder singing Amazing. some music because I love I love going to watch him. I love Stevie. Have you seen him live? I've seen him a few times. Yeah, Stevie Wonder's the last in a generation, I think. Yeah, he's, he was at Hyde Park this summer, wasn't he? Really? He's incredible. I saw him in New York briefly. Could I have my mum there? Of course you can. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to have mum there because I'd conversation. I'd like to you know get her just because I'm proud of my mum and it'd be nice for her to be there if we're having this great dinner. David Brent, although he'd be really, yeah. You want to introduce your mum to David Brent? Would no, you? probably not. <laughs> in terms of food. Right, this is my dream food, yeah? Whatever, yeah. I'd have a, like arancini and calamari to start. Nice. I'd have a burger and chips with truffle parmesan fries. Right. Um, and dessert. People are going to think, Joe, burger and chips. Yeah, this is my, but this is my dream, like okay. death row meal. And I'd also have, for dessert, I'd have like a um, chocolate fondant with vanilla ice cream. So I love my food, but my favourite, if I go to any restaurant, if there's a burger on the menu, I'm always getting it. Do you know what I mean? I'll always mm-hmm. choose the burger. And... Because we've just had a burger and chocolate uh, fondant, we're going to have to do some kind of exercise, right? So what, what what exercise would you make the dinner party do? I'd probably do a little 20-minute hit session in between really? courses, yeah, like a few burpees, a few squat jumps. Is that your, like, go-to, like, quick? Yeah, that's my, my, my most of my content is just literally me in the living room with my body, no weights, no, no equipment, no kettlebells, because... Mm-hmm. You can actually have a really good workout and, and have a good physique. I maintain my physique through bodyweight training, really. Really? Yeah, I did like weights when I was little, but I do, you know, pull-ups and dips and press-ups and things. So keep it simple. Get yourself moving. Amazing. And I'd love to see uh, David Brent trying to do a little 20-minute. Yeah. That would be funny. My, a lot of, if you watch my stories, a lot of my humour, like I just do like office jokes and it goes over so many people's heads. Mm-hmm. But people now, I'm like, look, I'm not making these jokes up. You need to watch The Office and then you'll get it. <laughs> well, anyway, listen, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, listen, I don't have to tell people where to find you because they can they can type in the Body Coach Joe Wicks anywhere and you'll come up. I'm sure there's no, uh, there's no other sort of imposters. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk, talk to you and really sort of get to know you. And um, I've, I've come away with a lot, because, more than anything, because of how, how you are as a human being. I think that's probably really underappreciated that people can see things on social media, but... Of all the people I've met on this podcast, you're the, you, you certainly feel like there's no one more authentic than you and real than you. And also your intentions as to why you're doing what you're doing um, are unquestionable. So oh, thank you, mate. Thank you so much for that. You know, you're for having me on. I'm genuinely excited to be and I hope that I've added some value to the audience. But I also I'm super inspired. I love being around successful people. Mm. And it's rare because I'm on my little world and my Instagram, and my mm my tripod and just me in the, in this living room so to meet other people that are doing well in their field it's incredible mm-hmm. and um 
I hope that people out there find it inspiring. Mm-hmm. And one little challenge for you is this week, for the rest of the week, send voice notes back when you get the DMs. Yeah, I'm See the impact of you just doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you might get some back, you might not, but you will, you'll realize, you'll understand within a week just how amazing and powerful it is and how mm-hmm. how much that person will love and appreciate that, mm-hmm. that you've sent that. And it's quicker. It speeds it's things so up. Much quicker, yeah. You can do way more to spend half an hour doing it and, and I'd love you to let me know how that had an impact on your audience and 100%. your personal f- feeling of like what you're doing. Okay. It, it kind of, it amplifies your 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 mission and what you're doing. So when you put out something positive through voice note, it's way more powerful than a bit mm-hmm. of text. So do that for a week and I'm gonna, send me a message. Yeah? I'll let you know how And anyone else on. out there too, don't <laughs> ignore the voice note function on Instagram DMs. Hit it up, send a voice note and watch your community grow and, and you know, not just in scale, but in depth. And that's so powerful in this day and age. It's all about engaging and caring about those people mm-hmm. on a real deep level and you will grow your business and your, your brand or whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, that's my top tip. Amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate having, uh, having your time today. Thanks, mate. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks, so head to netsuite.com Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. <laughs>